Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max, the podcast. Check the guys out live weekday mornings from 6 to 10 Eastern on ESPN Radio. The greatest play in NFL history, the immaculate reception in the AFC playoffs. The man who was responsible for that play, Franco Harris, Pittsburgh Steelers running back, has passed away at the age of 72, ESPN has learned this morning. You are listening to Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max on ESPN Radio and ESPNU. Courtney Cronin, Freddie Coleman sitting in for the guys on this Wednesday morning. Some sad news that came out yeah. a couple hours ago with Franco Harris's passing. His son telling the Associated Press no cause of death right now. He was 72 years old. The 50th anniversary, Freddie, of the Immaculate Reception is Friday. And his... Yeah. Number 32 jersey was going to be retired finally on Saturday when the Pittsburgh Steelers play the Baltimore Ravens in week 16. He's one of the most iconic players in NFL history, most certainly Pittsburgh Steelers history. Ran for 12,120 yards, won four Super Bowl titles with the Steelers in the 1970s. When I say Franco Harris, what is the first thought that comes to mind? Better man than football player. And he was a great football player. And the reason I can say that is you're going to read and hear about so many stories about the measure of that man more than what he ever he did on a football field in all those years he played for the Pittsburgh Steelers, helping them to win four Super Bowl championships and setting up everything after they were a downtrodden franchise since they were mm-hmm. in the National Football League. And having a chance to meet and hang out with him in 2017 at my school, Manchester University in Pennsylvania, where we had what we call Light Up the Night as part of homecoming because Manchester University is the first place, the birthplace of night football in this country. The first ever night football game happened over 125 years ago, and he was a part of that celebration. And it was also the year that I got inducted into my school's Athletic Hall of Fame, which is an honor that I can never, ever, ever even repay, even think about. And he could not have been more genuine and nicer to everybody that came across in terms of taking pictures and signing autographs because even though that's closer to Philadelphia than Pittsburgh where Mansfield is, it is a huge Steelers area. And that was a god showing up in that little town when it comes to Franco Harris and just seeing how he just interacted with everybody and asking about the school and wanting to know about the history of night football there. That is something I'm never going to forget. And then later on hanging out with him and having a little bit of a meal with him at Perkins in my school's town – those are the kind of memories that show the kind of measure of a person that he is. And it's really unfortunate that he won't get a chance to see his number retired physically or see the celebration, the immaculate reception that he had so much to do with. But you're going to hear so many different anecdotes and stories about Franco Harris, the man, more than a football player, and that says a lot about him. And to re- correct myself, that game on the 24th, of course, coming against the opponent that the Immaculate Reception occurred against 50 years ago. That is the Las Vegas Raiders at that time. They were in Oakland. But that game between the Steelers and the Raiders this Saturday, 8.15 p.m. Eastern time, they were going to announce Franco Harris's jersey retirement. I'm shocked that number 32, yeah. Freddie, had not been retired up until this point. Amen. But – What an incredible life. What an incredible journey from New Jersey to Penn State to becoming a first-round pick to setting all these records and winning four Super Bowls with the Pittsburgh Steelers. He will be sorely missed, but his impact will certainly not fade anytime soon on the National Football League. We will have more coverage throughout the day on ESPN and ESPN Radio regarding the passing of Franco Harris at age 72. You're listening to Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max Courtney Cronin, Freddie Coleman as 
always, presented by Progressive Insurance. Kicking it with you here on this Wednesday morning. News out of Philadelphia yesterday that Jalen Hurts and his sprained shoulder might not be as bad as we initially feared. The thought was when that news came out was that Jalen Hurts might end up being sidelined for a game or two. The Philadelphia Eagles standing Freddie at 13 and one. They need Mm -hmm. one more win out of their final three games to lock up the NFC's number one seed, get the bye and then home field advantage throughout the playoffs. But Jalen Hurts had this to say about his availability for the Eagles week 16 game in Dallas. It's a it's a it's a week where we're keeping everything business as usual. Um, I know we're playing a really good team, a really good opponent, and doing everything we can on a short week uh, to be at at full uh, full health. So from your perspective, do you think you have a chance to play on Saturday? Definitely a chance. Um, taking it day by day, though. You know, I everybody knows that I'm dealing with something. I think that's pretty public. Is out there. Um, I'm not one to really talk about myself. You know, obviously being a quarterback of the Philadelphia Eagles, you you can't run from that, you know. But um, I'm taking everything one day at a time with it and um, preparing versus a really good defense. Let's welcome in ESPN NFL Nation Philadelphia Eagles reporter Tim McManus to help us break down what Jalen Hurts said during his Tuesday availability. Tim, you heard the clip there from Jalen Hurts. Does that sound like somebody who's going to play against Dallas on Saturday? Hey, Courtney, uh, it's somebody who uh, is pushing to play on Saturday against Dallas. That's that's my read after looking into it at the locker room, kind of surveying the guys to get their feel for what they're expecting on Saturday. And the general consensus is they believe Gardner Minshew is going to play. Like, that's the expectation, that he's going to get the start against the Cowboys. But they're not ruling out the willpower of Jalen Hurts. I mean, this is a guy who's in the midst of an MVP campaign. He wants to be out there. He's got the competitive fire, as we all know. Uh, And, you know, the most important thing as the leader of this team, he wants to be side-by-side with his guys in what is the the biggest game of the year. So behind the scenes, I think what you're seeing is, is a player that is trying to push to be a part of the action on Saturday. But there's obviously there's a big picture to look at, right? Because they only need to win one of their last three regular season games to, to secure the number one seed. They want to make sure that he's good for the playoffs. Ultimately, I don't think that his pushing is going to uh, – that the Eagles are going to see to that because they're, they're looking at the big picture. But, but he wants to be in there. So when that happens, because I get the sense based on what you just said, that's going to be a win, not an if, when it comes to Gardner Minshew taking over quarterback against the Cowboys. What is this Eagles offense going to look like without Jalen Hurts? Well, certainly, I mean, the, the running game element changes because of how dynamic Hurts is the way that he can be a natural gravitation for defensive linemen. And that just opens things up for Miles Sanders. And, you know, the offensive line does the rest of the work. And so that's one of the reasons why they're one of the very best running units in the NFL. And so there's just going to be less of probably the, the zone read looks because you're not going to be, I mean, Minshew can pull it and run with it. Maybe you'll see that on occasion, but mostly you, you just rely on Miles Sanders to be that primary back. You rely on, what's one of the best offensive lines in the NFL uh, to create some, some avenues for him. And so I think that's the way that it changes, but, you know, speaking to a couple of the guys yesterday, my impression is, and one of the, one of the guys says that Minshew has been quote crushing it 
with the scout team. And one of the things that he's working against is, you know, the Eagles defensive line has been the most disruptive in football statistically this season. And Minshew's working with the backup offensive line and has forced him to get the ball out quicker. But they say, despite all that, uh, he's been, he's been performing really well in moving that offense during practice as, as top of the scout team. And the thinking is, is that, uh, that he'll be, you know, all the more ready, you know, for that moment. And will you know, it almost feel easy in some respects when he has the first, the starting offensive line in front of him for this one. So they have, uh, you know, they have high expectations for what Minshew can do. Certainly helps to have a capable backup, somebody who does have ample starting experience. Before Gardner Minshew was in Philly, he was also starting for the Jacksonville Jaguars. We're talking with Tim McManus, ESPN Eagles reporter here on Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max, Courtney Cronin, Freddie Coleman sitting in for the guys. Dallas Goddard is expected to return this week. What's the latest there involving the Eagles tight end? It's looking good for, for Dallas Goddard's return. So he's been on the shelf for the last four or five weeks because of a, a fracture in his shoulder. He just came off IR last week. They decided to hold him out so he could kind of heal more fully. And uh, he he's back on the 53-man roster. They just made that move yesterday. And, you know, signs are pointing to him playing. And that's a huge thing if you're going to be without your starting quarterback. And if you look back at recent history, so go back to the December game that Gardner Minshew started for an injured Jalen Hurts last December where Minshew goes 20 to 25 for two touchdowns, leads the Eagles to a victory. Goddard was the guy. Mm-hmm. They have a connection. And uh, that's something that has continued over. And, and Goddard uh, was joking at his locker yesterday that he's going to be reminding Minshew of that game in hopes that he's going to get the rock a ton on Saturday against Dallas. I mean, he figures to be a key component of this thing if the Eagles want to walk away from Dallas with that win. I hate to kind of change gears on you, but this tore apart our whole show staff when it came to a fry conversation, Tim, not even about 25, 30 minutes ago. I blame someone who's from Philadelphia, Pat Costello, when it comes to one of the guys behind the scenes. We want to know what is your favorite type of fry, and believe me, your answer will be thoroughly, thoroughly judged by what you have to say. (laughs) No pressure, though, Freddie. Not at all. Not not from me, (laughs) from the staff. (laughs) Uh, You know, I've turned into a big waffle guy. Waffle fry guy. Good answer. You just made Pat Costello and Alan Yates thoroughly, thoroughly happy as both Philadelphia guys, Tim. <laughs> you know, the stomach doesn't lie. Uh, you know, you like what you like. <laughs> that's a good one. The stomach doesn't lie. That, that's a new term. I haven't heard that one before. Well that done. That is true. Well, Tim, I hope that when you're in the airport this weekend, on your way down to Dallas to cover the Eagles as they look to go 14-1 and one and lock up the NFC's number one seed, I hope you can stop by a Chick-fil-A or anywhere else where waffle fries are <laughs> uh, Yeah, and dip some of that that Chick-fil-A special sauce. Yes. You dip the waffle fry yes. right in there. Amen. Oh, my God. Amen. Amen. And we will leave it at that. That is a mayo-based <laughs> sauce, and I am not. Not a fan of that. Tim, thanks so much and happy holidays. Happy holidays, guys. Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max, ESPN Radio, ESPNU, as always presented by Progressive I think Insurance. we found Courtney's kryptonite. I don't like mayonnaise. It's disgusting. I think, like, we, have, I think we found any so, sort it, of And most sauces, yeah, Freddie, yeah. include mayonnaise in it. I so, get yeah. it. But it's the Chick-fil-A sauce. It's, it's completely different. But I think we have found your kryptonite there. If we want to make Courtney tell us the truth, just wave mayonnaise in front of her nose and her face, and she's going to spill it.
Period. I'm going to throw the mayonnaise out the window is what I'm going to do if that happens. Um, It's disgusting. All right, so we talked about the Eagles side of this matchup. Uh Now, Dallas is coming off of the loss to Jacksonville in overtime, and then the week before, they were exposed by the Houston Texans. They end up winning that game, but it didn't come down until – it only came down to the final drive for them to do that. So – is Saturday, in your mind, a must-win scenario for mm-hmm. Dallas, knowing that they had a chance to lock up their spot in the postseason last week and failed to do so? Yeah, it's not a must-win in terms of the playoffs because they're going to be there. But from my standpoint, Courtney, it's a must-win from their psyche because they're not only hearing it from the outside and the media and everything else from the fans, there's concern on the inside, in my opinion, because when you have that kind of confidence shaken especially when that defense has not looked like the defense the last couple of weeks and that offense has had their issues being up and down up and down being inconsistent despite putting a lot of points on the board when it comes to that offense from a psyche standpoint that's why it's a must-win game for the Dallas Cowboys you look at certain teams and they play certain games and I don't worry about their psyche the Bills and they played the Dolphins last week and vice versa anytime the San Francisco 49ers play against somebody Philadelphia Eagles Kansas City Chiefs But teams like the Dallas Cowboys, when you have that kind of attention placed on you and you want to show people and prove to people, we are legit in the NFC. We can be legit in the NFC. We can beat a team like the Eagles. We can beat a team like the 49ers. Well, now they got to go out and prove it, especially playing at home and against the backup quarterback. From a psyche standpoint, it's a very, very must win for the Dallas Cowboys because you lose that game. I can't even imagine what that noise is going to sound like, not so much from outside the building, Courtney, but inside the building trying to get ready for the playoffs. Well, nothing helps your psyche feel pretty good uh, other than Jerry Jones running his mouth. This is what he (laughs) had to say about Dak Prescott following the Cowboys' loss in Jacksonville. Outstanding. We can win with him playing like that to be trite. I thought he played outstanding. And uh, as we see, he wasn't playing against Chop Liver out there. And so uh, I thought he did really well. I thought he made good decisions. Overall, if he'll play like that, we can win most games. 22 of 30 for 256 yards, three tugs, and two interceptions. And, of course, that last interception was not on Dak. And without throwing his receiver under the bus, he said everything but uh, all of that, you know, trying to, like, find a place where he can hit his receiver, like, near the chest, near stomach. The ball bounced off. It was the end of the game. That's fine. But what do you make of Jerry Jones's comments here? Because I feel like he waffles, waffle frying, on, um, on Dak okay. Prescott every other week because, before it was needing to kind of play up to the contract and then wanting to see Dak use his legs more and you know needing to see him win big games and big moments. Now it's, hey, if he plays this way, we'll be fine. And he called it – he went as far to call it outstanding, Freddie. Jerry Jones speaking on the microphone that a Cowboys team is mayonnaise to you. It is something that nobody needs if you're the Dallas Cowboys. But this is the deal when you have an owner that is a celebrity. Let's call it as it is. The biggest Dallas Cowboys celebrity – It's not Dak Prescott and anybody else. It's Jerry Jones. And Jerry Jones knows that. So he knows nobody's going to keep him from saying anything and keep him from talking, whether it's negative, whether it's positive, whether it's trying to lift up his team or trying to motivate his team. Jerry Jones, if he could coach his NFL team, he would. Thank God there's a rule in place that can't (laughs) allow that to happen in the National Football League. Jerry Jones, I guarantee it just become white noise to the Cowboys players because it should. He's not going to stop talking. He's not going to stop speaking. He has a weekly radio show, so you know how that's going to go. If you're a player, anytime your owner speaks, you're hoping that the media does not come to your locker room and say, 
What did you think about what Jerry Jones had to say? Yeah. But you're going to have to go through that every Tuesday and every Wednesday. The players know what they've gotten themselves into. But it can't be about that, Courtney. It can't be about proving your owner right or proving your owner wrong or justifying the validation that he has in you. It's about what are you going to find inside of you as a Cowboys team so people can stop talking about you in a way that has not been good. It's not about the owner saying we trust Dak or I believe defense is going to be better. It's about what are you going to do, and this is when your stars need to show up. And that's right. I'm calling out Dak Prescott. I'm calling out Michael Parsons. Anybody's a star on that team. You want to be a star, act like a star, play like a star. Because I've seen that team on the other side. The Eagles do that all year long. We've seen it in bits and pieces in spurts with the Dallas Cowboys, and if they're going to be taken seriously or they believe they're serious, that nonsense better stop this weekend against the Eagles. Well, and if they want to be taken seriously, they've got to take care of the football first and foremost. No and doubt. Dak Prescott vowed that he's going to fix his interception issue, and it's not really something that's been – you know, the storyline of his career. Like, he he had 13, which was a career high in 2017. He has 11 right now, which I know brings up a concern for most people saying, hey, don't turn the ball over. Hold on to the football. Score a lot of points. And and they're capable of doing that. Remember, they had a sizable lead, 27-10, to on the Jacksonville Jaguars. And the defense let them let Jacksonville back in the game. Now, the offense tried to keep pace, and they were certainly able to do that because this game ended up going to overtime as it was, and, you know, Dallas loses 40-34. to 34, But Dak is not absolved of blame of that, no matter what you think of that final interception that sealed the game for Dallas. What I'm more concerned about right now, Freddie, is the state of this defense, the unit mm-hmm. that was so widely talked about for the first portion of the season, vaunted pass rush, Micah Parsons, defensive player of the year, front runner, so on and so forth, and Dan Quinn getting a ton of credit for everything he's done these last two seasons in turning this unit around. But man, I feel like you've got to put more more of the onus on the defense to do its job against an Eagles team that's coming down there looking to lock up the NFC's number one seed because – when a lot of this mistake football is being talked about, the finger's getting pointed at the defense more than it is Dak Prescott and what the offense is doing and not doing. Yeah, I'm more concerned about the defense. They need to play better more than Dak Prescott needs to play better this weekend versus Philadelphia because what they don't do best is what the Eagles mm-hmm. do best, and that is run the football. But there's also a toughness that I want to see from Dallas. I see when they're knocking down the quarterback. I see when they're making plays on the other side of the line of scrimmage when Dan Quinn's able to dial it up with his pressures and everything else. But to me, the toughness of a defense is when they know you're going to run the football on them and they look and say, ah, not happening today, brother. You can try to run all you want. We're going to stymie you. You're going to have to be a one-handed team and throw the football. That is something we have not seen from this Dallas defense all year long. When they get a lead, when they have a lead, they can turn loose those pass rushers. Well, that has not worked. It didn't work last, last Sunday against the Jacksonville Jaguars because that Jaguars offensive line walled them off, and they were tougher mentally and physically than that Cowboys defense. That's what I want to see. I saw it earlier. Even when they were not stopping running games, it wasn't as easy to run on them. They made it tough. But now it seems that every time we turn around, five yards, six yards, 10 yards, 20 yards, where is that toughness going to come from? Yeah, it's got to come from Micah Parsons. He's got to lead the way. But other guys in the middle have got to start doing their jobs. And you got to be able to say, look, not today. You're not going to do that to me like everybody else has done lately against the run defense of the Cowboys. Maybe it's a case of the Cowboys playing down to two opponents in the AFC South that they don't respect all that much. I mean, certainly that was the case against the Houston Texans. It took a 98-yard drive to beat that team in the final moments of the game, and then they blew a 17-point lead to a Jacksonville team that's won three of its last four. So whatever the case is there, they have no margin of error 
against this Philadelphia Eagles team. And I'm not even concerned about them getting into the postseason mm-hmm. because they're going to get they're in already there. The, the entire NFC East is probably getting into the playoffs. But they lost to Philadelphia in Philly earlier this season, 26-17. to You cannot get swept by your division opponent, a team that you may very well, no matter how this thing plays out, end up seeing again at some point. Maybe it's the NFC Championship game because this the Cowboys team is talented enough to go to the Super Bowl. They're not playing like it, though. They're playing sloppy, and I don't think that there's much more than saying that. There's no excuse for that. And at this point, this defense needs to regain some swagger. The offense needs to make sure that it's taking care of the ball, certainly coming to the hand of Dak Prescott. And they need to go and just kind of reestablish who they are. Remember, this team was built to win this year. Mm-hmm. They faced a lot of adversity early on when Dak Prescott broke his thumb. He came back. Now you have no choice, given where they are right now, but to go and make a run towards the po- towards the playoffs and then actually make a run in the playoffs and not bow out during wild card weekend. Well, real quick, what are, who are the Dallas Cowboys? If we're still asking that question with a team that's won double digits, then that's not good because I don't have to ask, ask that question about Philadelphia, Kansas City, Buffalo. Hell, I don't even have to ask yeah. that question about the Minnesota Vikings. But if we're still asking that question about the Dallas Cowboys, that may be more of a problem inside that locker room, inside that organization that we talked about. Well, I already know the answer. They're a defensive team that can that, that should be relying upon what it does on that side of the ball to carry them in games. Dak Prescott's a very good quarterback. I don't think that he's the problem here. I think the defense needs to recapture its form because that's what they said. Back in the time when Cooper Rush was taking over this team for an injured Dak, They were telling you without telling you, we're going to ride our defense and ask our offense to do enough to keep us in games and not keep us out of games. Why would you, why would you want to like rewrite the book right now when you've got three weeks remaining in the regular season and you've got a long playoff run that you're hoping to go on? Like go ahead and get these issues fixed. Stop playing bad football though. Stop playing mistake laden football. Stop playing penalty laden football. Play clean football and don't play down to your opponents because very clearly they did that against their last two the last two weeks. All right, coming up next, we're going to take more of your calls on our Frygate here at Keyshawn J. Will and Max. Yes, we do, Freddie. Triple eight, say ESPN eight 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 seven two nine three seven seven six. We'll also ask you what's your one concern that you have for your playoff team, assuming you have one, like the Dallas Cowboys. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Have you ridden an electric e-bike yet? You need to check out Electric e-bikes today. The number one selling e-bike in America. Two things stand out that bikers love about electric. Number one, the majority of their models come pre-assembled, so you don't need to be a bike savant to ride them. Number two, electric wants to empower riders to spend more time exploring outside on their bikes, so they've made range a priority. Long-range batteries allow riders to hit typically around 65 miles of range or up to 150 miles on some models. Bonus! Electric has purposefully priced their bikes to be affordably awesome, so you don't have to break the bank to get these sweet rides. See why people who have made the switch to electric bikes have fallen in love with biking again by visiting electricebikes.com. That's L-E-C-T-R-I-C-E-B-I-K-S dot com. 
For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max, the podcast. Christmas Day, as always, it's really the unofficial tip-off to the NBA season, even though we're 10 weeks into this thing. A lot of great storylines to get into, which is why here on Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max, Courtney Cronin, Freddie Coleman sitting in for the guys on ESPN Radio and ESPNU. We're pleased to welcome in our good friend, Quentin Richardson, former NBA player and Thank host you. of the Knuckleheads podcast to help us break down a little bit what's going on with this Sunday NBA slate. And Q, before we get into the Christmas Day games, I want to ask you, because Freddie gave us his list of the top five most dominant players in the NBA right now, and of course Giannis Antetokounmpo is number one, and I don't know if many people would be willing to debate that, but who is, in your mind, if it's not Giannis, who is the second most dominant player in the NBA currently? Uh, Dominant? I guess you would have to go if, if if not Giannis. I would say um, it's got to be right there with you know Luca and Tatum. I think if you're going off based on this year, but I mean to me that's like when I think of those guys, I think best player. When I think most dominant, I think if it's not Giannis, it's probably Zion. When you talk about hmm. just sheer dominance, the force, the way he plays, I would I would put put Zion up there with that with the with the dominant you know just that word dominant I feel like when he plays he pretty much dominates when he's healthy you mentioned Zion Williamson and the Pelicans near the top in the Western Conference and we knew that if he was going to be healthy that was going to be a different team what have you seen that leads you to say okay his dominance is about to begin with the Pelicans and in the NBA just because it's like you said, Freddie, it's all about his health. And like he, he missed the whole season last year. And now he, he's, you know, basically been available this year. A little couple little uh situations where he was out out of the lineup, but for the most part he's been available this year. And I mean they were already like you said, they were becoming a good team last year. They got CJ, they made that addition. Yep. Um he's been tremendous for him. And now with them guys being healthier, you know, Brandon Ingram is a is an all star, all NBA type player. So is CJ and then you know you throw a healthy Zion in there it just sets him up to be everything he's been this season and when he's healthy I feel like he he when you look at the numbers the paint dominance the point paints the the, the numbers that he's putting up when he's healthy uh, healthy and the field goal percentage and the efficiency he's got to be right at the top of that dominant list. There's seven players currently averaging 30 points or more per game. Everybody from Joel Embiid to Luka Doncic, SGA, Giannis, Durant, Tatum, and Steph Curry, even though Curry is currently injured. Q, what does this say about the state of the league, given that scoring feels like it's up as well? Good question. I mean, I would say that this is this is this is what we wanted. You know, this is you know why they why they put you know took certain things away from the defender. There's no more hand checking. I mean, it's a lot easier in today's NBA. For the offensive player, and it's more difficult for the defensive player. So I mean, this isn't a surprise with the with the rise of the talent and the skill that these kids are coming with, and the way they're able to put, you know, different generations together. You you know, past generations you might have a great shooter like Reggie Miller, or you might have a great dunker like Dominique, or you might have a great ball handler like Iverson. You got these guys 
are mixing all of that in one, and they all come in and can do everything. So, I mean, it, it, it's about par for course when you when you look at the way uh, things have kind of, you know, you know, just one long as time has gone on. A man who is such a great sharpshooter in the NBA, now part of the Knuckleheads podcast. He is Quentin Richardson joining us here on Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max with Courtney Cronin. I'm Freddie Coleman and ESPN Radio. Hit him on Twitter at QWitch. He is a great follow. We got Celtics and Bucks, part of that Christmas Day matchup. I'm not going to get into whole, this could be a preview of the NBA Eastern Conference Finals because the NBA Eastern Conference is loaded. But in a game like that on Christmas Day, what is it like for you as a basketball fan having all those guys, Giannis, Middleton, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, and you know that it may be the first of many meetings between these two this year? I mean, like the first thing you think about is, you know, Middleton wasn't there last year when they when when, when the Celtics got past him in the playoffs. So, I mean, you, you know it's only one game, but it's still something that you want to look at and just see how they match up because – Although you're not saying it, Freddie, we all are well aware that this could be a you know a preview of the uh, maybe not the finals, but some type of matchup in the Eastern Conference playoffs. So I mean, you do want to kind of get eyes on it and see how they look and, and see how they go against each other, especially with with them having Chris Middleton back available when he wasn't there for the playoff series last year. Okay, so on the other side of that matchup with Boston, are Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown is that the best duo in the NBA right now, Q? Man, I think I, it's hard, you know, when you're doing all these comparisons and rankings, but I, I'll just say they have to absolutely be in that top tier of them. Whatever guys and groups of guys you're going to bundle up in there, Jason and Jalen have to be with just basically off the way that they perform, each of their individual numbers and the things that they've done to put their team, at, you know, right up there at the top, number two in the East right now, and have been number one for most of the season. So, I mean – you got to give them their respect and their credit because they, they they put in the work and they came out this season and they showing up. Joel Embiid of Philadelphia or Nikola Jokic of Denver? Who's the best big man in the league and why? You got to go with uh, Jokic. I mean, I love Joel Embiid to death, but I mean, unfortunately, he's he's had to battle different different uh, you know different bouts of uh, not being available and not being healthy and different things with his physical physical condition and his health. And I mean, the bottom line is that Jokic has been consistently more available more available in the last couple of years. And I think that's the difference in the MVP voting and why he's won a couple back to back and and. To me, I mean, the best ability is availability. I think if you, you know, both of those guys are super 100% healthy, I think I would I would rather have Joel Embiid if he could stay healthy and stay his dominant self. But, I mean, Jokic has proven, you know, over the course of the couple of years that he's he's able to keep himself more available to the team and be more of an impact than Joel is. Mm, okay. He is the co-host of the Knuckleheads podcast, Quentin Richardson, former NBA player, joining Courtney Cronin and Freddie Coleman here on Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max. Q, thanks so much for the time. Appreciate it. Merry Christmas, Q. No problem. Happy holidays to you. We'll get you all set up for our NBA Christmas Day slate. Five consecutive games on ESPN and ABC beginning noon Eastern time and on ESPN Radio, a doubleheader that starts at 4.30 p.m. Eastern on Sunday. The Bucks and the Celtics followed by the Grizzlies and the Warriors. The NBA on ESPN Radio. Now, coming up next, we've been talking about our 
power rankings, rather, for French fries, whether they're waffle <laughs> cut, whether they're curly, whether they're steak fries, and whether whether you like regular fries. I don't really know who likes those anyways. Um, we'll get back into that. We'll take your calls, 888-ESPN, 888-729-3776. We'll also remember the life of the late Franco Harris, the late, great Franco Harris, running back of the Pittsburgh Steelers. It's coming up next here on Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day, but sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21-plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. The Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max Podcast. His statue greeted you in Pittsburgh's airport. And Franco Harris was a legend, not only to the city of Pittsburgh, but the entire NFL world. He passed away at the age of 72 as we found out earlier this morning, a life well lived, a legacy left behind. This is Keyshawn, J. Will and Max on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Courtney Cronin, Freddie Coleman sitting in for the guys on this Wednesday morning is always presented by Progressive Insurance. ESPN Pittsburgh Steelers reporter Brooke Pryor was coincidentally with Franco Harris yesterday at the Heinz History Center. Brooke, I, I want to ask you just about this experience that you had with Franco Harris, what that was like, and obviously hearing the shocking news of his passing this morning. Yeah, it's um, it's really surreal. I was with him yesterday because you mentioned, you know, off the top about the statue in the airport, and for a long time I wanted to write about that statue in connection with the Immaculate Reception Anniversary because when I think of coming home to Pittsburgh, I think of, seeing that statue first thing and I asked him about it and what it meant and he said you know from from what he remembers that statue was only supposed to be up six months Mm. and he said it just stayed and he he looked at me and he said and there it is I'm still standing and I get chills thinking about that now and it it wasn't just that he spent 15 minutes with me one-on-one in one of the busiest most jam-packed weeks I'm I'm sure he'd ever had But when he finished talking with me, there was a family, there was a dad and two daughters that were kind of hanging back. And they said, hey, Franco, would it be okay if we got a photo? And he said, sure, and then turned into a history lesson. And he he looked at the two girls before they took the photo. You know, they they were walking over. And he said, what do you guys know about the 1970s? And the 15-year-old said, uh, my mom was born then. <laughs> and dad said, yeah, I was too. And, and you know, it, it just turned into this really great moment of Franco educating them about the play and about the Steelers of the 1970s. And then they talked about golf and tennis, which the two girls played. Franco told them that he learned how to play golf at Penn State. I mean, it was, it was more than just a picture. 
They did get their picture with him, and I got a text from the dad, Brian, last night, and he sent me a picture of his two girls in T-shirts that said Franco's Italian Army, that they went in the gift shop afterward, and they wanted to buy those, and they couldn't stop talking about how cool it was that they met him. So when I think of Franco, you know, this is probably the most photographed man in Pittsburgh. He still looks like the 22-year-old version of himself when he made that catch. He gets stopped all the time, and yet it wasn't just a picture for him. He genuinely wanted to talk to people, spent time with them, and you know, the whole time his wife was like, Franco, come on, we got to go. Like We have mm-hmm. another interview. We have things to do. And yet he wanted to, to spend time with these girls and with their dad, and that, that's when I think of Franco, just what a kind, giving generous man not only you know one of the best players in NFL history Pittsburgh history you know started really the dynasty of the Steelers but also just an incredible amazing human being I still believe he may be the most underrated and underappreciated Pittsburgh Steeler Brooke what are your thoughts about that yeah I mean it you know when you think of Pittsburgh there are so many Hall of Famers right and so many men that, that built and laid the foundation for this franchise and then continued on the legacy, you know, mean Joe Green and, and Stallworth and Swan and Bradshaw and Roethlisberger. I mean, you can go on and on and on. But Franco's play, that catch, is what started it all. Until that point, the Steelers hadn't won a playoff game. They were not the Steelers that we know today. But that moment jump-started the rest of the franchise. That, you know, was was – the, what happened, you know, before the steel curtain got big and everything else. I mean, that that is the most pivotal moment in this organization. And while I think he's he's underrated from the perspective of you know there because there's so many other guys, he is so beloved here. He's been a constant uh, presence in the community. His, the statue says everything. And I mean, he was going to have his his jersey number retired in a ceremony at the game. On Saturday, I'm sure that 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 jersey will almost certainly still be retired, all of that. But all of these celebrations take on a new tone because, of course, we're all so sad to lose him, especially this week of all weeks. But I think that it's also going to be a celebration and a remembrance of an incredible person um, and an, an amazing football player that gave so much to this organization. Harris's death comes two days before the 50th anniversary of the Immaculate Reception, as Brooke had mentioned. It was a play that transformed the Pittsburgh Steelers from afterthoughts in the NFL into the NFL elite. And Franco Harris went on to win four Super Bowls during his time in Pittsburgh. There's also a football life that is done by NFL Network. That will air on Friday, 9 p.m. Eastern time in conjunction with the anniversary of the Immaculate Reception. Franco Harris, gone too soon at age 72. Brooke, thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate the time as always. Thanks, guys. A lot of breaking news here this morning on a Wednesday. It started out really around 3 in the morning Eastern time when the shocking news of Carlos Correa and a physical that came into question, Freddie, with the the San Francisco Giants that was a three-year, 13-year, rather, $350 million deal. Giants said, we have questions. And Hmm. the New York Mets said, please, come on down. Uh, 12 years, $315 million on the contract that's all but signed pending a physical However, the owner, Steve Cohen, has, has announced that it's you know likely to happen. We had Buster Olney, ESPN Baseball Insider, on 
on Keyshawn J. Will and Max earlier this morning to talk about that deal. So some shockwaves across baseball and shockwaves yeah. across the NFL world, too, with the passing of Franco Harris. This is Keyshawn J. Will and Max, ESPN Radio, ESPNU. He's Freddie Coleman. I'm Courtney Cronin, and we're still taking your calls about oh, the fry preferences of America. Waffle fries, regular fries, curly fries, steak cut fries. Those are my favorite. Mm-hmm. Let's go out to Mellon, New Jersey. You have a fry I've never heard of before. Do tell. Hey, good morning. So I'm a fryologist, too. You know, they're sweet potato <laughs> fries, just crinkle cut fries. But it's the butterfly fries. And a butterfly fry is kind of like fry shavings. I mean, potato shavings that are stuck together, so it's like a pinwheel kind of thing. You can actually go to Friday's and get some good ones. They got queso, peppers on it. You know, it's pretty good. Butterfly fries. I might have to try Never heard of that, but I'm 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 game. I'll try that. All right. Like, this this one's kind of a controversial opinion in in my thoughts, but – but gravy on fries, Freddie? Are you a fan of that? Like poutine? Oh, yeah, I'm not opposed to that. I mean, gravy. I mean, people put gravy on mashed potatoes. Last time I checked, fries, potatoes. Yeah, so what's true. the difference? I just can't do poutine because doesn't that have duck fat in it? Like it's just it's just too much going on. I just want I just want the fries in one yeah. condiment, yeah. not soup. Yeah. Some fries have fat in it anyway, so it's fat on fat crime there. As it's far as I'm a, a bowl of fries, cheese, and gravy, and you're concerned about the duck fat? <laughs> because why am I eating? Pu- why am I dipping my French fry in pure duck fat? That's disgusting. Talk Dad. about it, Courtney. No, but Talk the, about the sour it. cream though, that was fine. But, but that was the, okay. But the, the duck sour fat cream is, the problem, is yeah. like thirty yeah. calories yeah. a tablespoon. Duck a, fat is far it, worse it, than that. It's amazing how she hates mayonnaise but likes sour cream. They're almost similar. I know it's it's a weird taste version. I'm sorry that I'm a strange human being, but at least I like what I like. That's I don't know true. what Greeny likes. I don't know what kind of fries he's a fan of. He but hates you're going to find out next. Greeny on ESPN Radio coming your way here. Courtney Cronin and Freddie Coleman on KJM. Thanks for listening to Keyshawn J. Will and Matt's the podcast. Check the guys out live weekday mornings from six to ten Eastern on ESPN Radio.